Uh, last week, we started a new teaching series called Be Here um, to look at the reality that we as human beings have this really strange ability um, to be somewhere but not be present in that moment. Uh, we can have our bodies in one place and our minds can be a million miles away thinking about other things, doing other things. Um, and so we have this really strange ability to kind of have our feet planted and our hearts to be wandering around. Um, and I see this every single Sunday when I stand up here on stage. Um, I see the eyes that, you know, kind of lose focus and they're not really looking at me anymore. Um, it's, it's like the soul has left the building even though you're still sitting in the pew kind of a thing. Um, you, you know, whatever you're doing, you're planning dinner for tonight, tomorrow, the next few weeks. Um, you're going through the stuff that needs to be done, maybe in the fields tonight, tomorrow. Uh, maybe you're thinking about lunch and what you're going to be eating as soon as it's done and your stomach growls and you're just kind of already there. Um, whatever it might be, it's like, you're here, but you ain't really here. I see that a lot. Um, I see the slow blinks that lead to closed eyes. Um, you, maybe you call yourself a contemplative listener. Maybe you're like, mm, yes, I'm really paying attention, but I know what that is, um, especially when the head starts to give, you know, uh, that I know I see that stuff too. Again, you're here, but you're not always here. Um, and then there's the, the, the times it happens to me, standing up here talking, my mouth's moving, right? And I'll see something um, very, sometimes it's something somebody does, but sometimes it's just Something will happen, a car will drive by, and the window, the sun will shine off the window just right, and my brain just poof, evacuates from the moment. And then what I have to do is I'll sit here and I'll repeat the thing I just said in different kinds of words, just hoping my brain can find its way back to this place so that I can continue with my sermon, and I just have to keep talking and talking and talking. So every one of us has this ability to be here but not really be here. And this series is about us trying to fix that. Now, it's not always bad, okay? It's, it's an actual human skill. Like, it is something that we need to do sometimes. It's good to be thinking ahead and um, processing multiple things at once. It's okay to do that. But where it gets in the way is so often we will find ourselves in moments that are good, moments that are a gift from God, and we're too busy worrying about something else or regretting something that happened a long time ago that we can't enjoy the beautiful moment that we're in. Um, for anyone who's ever had um, the flip-flopping work-home guilts, that's something a lot of people have. When you're at work, you're guilty that you're not at home, and when you're home, you're thinking about all the things you still need to get done at work. And so you're at both places and not really at either. And that is something a lot of people struggle with, which is really weird in the work-from-home era, right? Because you're still in the same place, but you, you're on the computer. I oh, got, I want to do that. I can't, I can't. And then when you go in the other room, you want to get back. And so now we kind of have, we're trying to do all the things with kids and family and yet the phone's always going off and the email's going off because we don't even ever really get to have a separation between the two anymore. And so we worry about those things. And we, when we do that, we miss out on opportunities and the invitations I think that God often places in those moments when he's inviting us to be present, to be willing to be interrupted to be willing to just see and be stunned at his goodness, the blessings that he's given us and to appreciate. And so often we're just not aware enough to grab onto those memories. Um, I wonder how much of uh, the goodness God has given me that I don't even know I missed out on because, again, I wasn't even present enough to, be, to appreciate that something significant and special was happening. 
And so what we need to do is to try to be present more in the moments where we are actually paying attention and appreciating and being with the people that are in our lives rather than having our bodies there and our brains a million miles away. And we can't talk about all the things that distract us and steal our minds away. I mean, you could probably come up with a list of a hundred things that keep us pulled away from the moment. Um, so I'm just, in this series, we're just picking two um, to kind of really hammer in on them. And last week, what we talked about, oh wait, here's the two actually. It's uh, our, our tendency to want to rehash the past, to go back in our minds to things that have happened already, to redig up those memories and, and process them over and over and over again, to replay our failures in our head over and over again, our shortcomings, our regrets, our missed opportunities, the moments when we went right when we should have gone left, all of that stuff. Um, some of us, I mean, we have a really gifted ability to clearly remember the failures of our past while forgetting all the times when things went well. Um, and so when we spend time reliving the past, again, we're missing out on the moment. But do you know how much of the past you can change? Zero percent of the past, okay? Um, the only time we'll ever see anybody change the past is in a science fiction movie where a time machine is present. That does not exist in real life. That is why it is science fiction. For us normal, regular, everyday, here in the world people, we're never going to be able to do that stuff. And so it's a waste in many ways to look back and go, oh, I wish I would have. I, why couldn't I? It just steals us away from being present. Now, the second thing that we tend to do is we rehearse the future. We rehearse the future. We think about what might be, what could be, um, whether good or bad. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, rehearsing the future is you and me constantly asking ourselves, what if? And some of you are incredibly optimistic people. And all of your what ifs are good. What if this happens? What if this happens? What if this happens? What if? And you have all, I mean, the sky's the limit in your brain. Hold on, I got a sneeze that is like, Standing on my shoulder, and it just will not go away. Has for like 30 seconds. Remember that thing I just said about I'm here, but I'm not here? I'm trying to talk, and I'm like, I can't even think about it. Ugh. And then I'm like, I have a microphone that I can't pull away from my face. I'm going to blow everybody out of the water. There we go. Ugh. So we start asking what ifs. And some of you, again, you're good, at, and you ask good what ifs. But I think the majority of our what ifs are scary. Or what if everything falls apart? What if everything goes wrong? What if my kids get sick? What if, what if uh, I get sick and I can't be there for them? What if um, somebody's coming over to my house and my house isn't spotless? What are they going to think about me? Um, what if my car, I go to work and it starts making a funny noise and then is it going to break down? I can't afford for that to happen right now. What if my kids make friends with someone who's a bad influence on them and then they start getting into trouble and they end up doing drugs and then they're going to be in jail forever and I'll never see them again? You laugh, but that's some of the silliness that goes on in our brains. Uh, what if my daughter ends up marrying the loser that she's dating? No elbows, please, if that is something that is happening. And you can figure that out on a day that's not Mother's Day. Um, what do you think? I got that big work thing coming up, and I got to talk in front of people, and I hate talking in front of people. What if everybody realizes I'm not really qualified to do my job, and they fire me, and oh, no, what am I going to do? Uh, what if I forget to lock the door some night, and somebody breaks in? Anybody ever done that? I didn't lock the doors. Oh, no. What are the chances that the one night that you forget to lock your doors is the, like, somebody's like, I didn't hear it. <laughs> like, let's get them. 
Like, they didn't lock their, like, no, yeah, I mean, we think that somebody's, like, out there just listening to us, waiting for it. Um, and even, you know, things, what if I lose my independence as I get older? All of these are very real fears that we think of, what if, what if, what if, what if? And on and on we could go, because so often we are so good at this, it could be considered a part-time job. Like, if you could get paid for all of the what-ifs that circle around in your brain in a given day, I mean, we'd, be, we'd have fuller pockets for sure. Now, last week I said that the power that the past had over us came in the form of shame, where we feel shame in the present for what happened in the past. But what, the power that the future has over us is the power of anxiety. Anxiety. What happens when everything goes wrong. And so we're feeling anxiety about things that may never happen. And if I can speak from experience, of all the what-ifs I've had in my brain, we're feeling anxiety for things that most likely will not happen. Because we can be very creative with our scenarios. 99% of the time, the things that I've been worrying about, the things that I was convinced were going to happen, 99.9% of the time, they never even came close to happening. And so we're wasting so much time, so much energy. I don't know if you have like, I'm not a doctor, I don't know how the science on this is, I don't know if like when you're born you have like a set number of heartbeats that your heart can pump in a lifetime, but you know how many times I get anxious and my heart goes from this to like, like I'm t- I might be taking years off my life with these what-ifs. I don't even know how that really works. Um, and so for those of you that struggle with this, we're going to talk about it. For those of you who do not struggle with this, because I know some of you are just like going through life all willy-nilly, taking the days as they come, you look at us worriers like we are absolutely insane. And we look at you like you're what is wrong with you? Like, are you a, don't you know all the ways this train can derail in on any given day? Like, what is happening? Like, don't you care? And you're like, no, don't care at all. And more power to you. And I don't even understand the world and the brain you have in your head. But um, some of us are warriors, and so uh, I have a little more experience to talk about that. We wish we could be more like you, we really do, and maybe we can get a little bit closer today. Um, because for those of you that don't worry about tomorrow, and you look at us like you're crazy, I just want you to know, technically, I don't understand you, but technically, you're right. When you tell, calm down, it's going to be fine, you're probably right, okay? But that doesn't really matter. It doesn't. That's not how our brains are wired, and it's silly, and whether it's the way we were raised, maybe we suffered some kind of emotional trauma as a kid that we don't even remember, maybe there's a chemical issue that's off in our brains, Um, maybe it's just our personalities. I don't know what it is, but there are a lot of people who worry about this stuff. And and, um, this worrying, um, for a lot of us, it comes like breathing. It doesn't nourish us like breathing, but it's as natural for us as breathing. It's just always going, always coming in and always out. We don't have to think about it. It just kind of naturally happens. But instead of just giving into it, let's try to have a better relationship with our understanding of the future, with how we view the future, and try to figure out ways that we can start to combat this a little bit. Um, now, this is not going to be an exhaustive sermon on how to erase worry from your life. Uh, that's a lot more than what I can fit in in one nice little day, um, but we'll talk about that. Um, but I do feel qualified to talk about this because um, years ago, um, 
I hit some sort of anxiety wall. I don't fully understand it. I don't always know why it happened the way it happened or, when, or the reason why it happened. Um, but there was a moment in my life where I just lost control of it. The, the anxiety controlled me. I did not have any control of it. I did not have the ability to see that tomorrow was probably going to be better. That 99.9% .9 of the time, that statistic didn't matter to my brain. I just couldn't shut it off. And I was absolutely overcome with worry. Um, I missed Jude's second birthday party. We had family come in, and I just couldn't even sit in there with my family. I was just, I was trying to sit and be calm and appreciate it and watch him, little cute little body, open all his little presents. But on the inside, I was absolutely a wreck. And um, I even hate thinking about that because it's like, how many birthdays the, with them when they're little? And that was like, you know, second birthday is like the first time they like get it. Like they're like, I'm going to open these presents and I'm going to like rip through this like a, you know, bear. It's going to be great. And so it's fun to watch and I, I regret having missed that. And so um, it's important for us to start developing a healthier relationship with the future. And um, fortunately, Jesus gives us some really good tools with which to do that. And so we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6 this morning. If you got a Bible, awesome. You can use that one. If you want to use one in the pew, fantastic. Uh, you want to use your phone app, that's great. Or the verses will be on the screen. If you're using a phone app or something, we're going to be reading out of the ESV, the English Standard Version. Um, these words were folk, uh, spoken by Jesus um, during his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. Um, this was probably a sermon he preached multiple different times, uh, different places. He traveled all over the place. Most of the time, we don't get too many glimpses of what he preached. Um, but this one is so good and so well organized, and, and it covers such a big part of human life that I bet this was one that he taught a lot of different places. And we call it the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, we'll start in verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Now, if you just hit a period right there, that seems so incredibly unhelpful. And again, those of you that are like the, you never have anxiety, you look at us crazy people, because the people that don't have anxiety always marry somebody who does. And you've made the mistake of saying, just stop, don't worry so much. Don't worry. Just don't worry. Just stop worrying about it. Yeah, yeah, that, that's not helpful. And this is that, if, again, if it stopped right there, this would be just as unhelpful. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? No, none of us. And I, again, I know that in my head. I just wish that information could make like the 12-inch the journey down into my heart. He says, and why are you anxious about clothing? Now, we have closets of clothing. Almost everybody does. In the ancient world, that was not the case. Most of them, they wore all the clothes they had. That's what they had. And so, it was, I mean, something rips, it's done. Like, well, that's, it's a very real possibility in a life where you're doing manual labor all the time to survive. Like, the, if that gets messed up or stained or torn or ripped or caught on fire or something, that was a very, what will I wear if something bad happens? So why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. 
Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is alive and thrown into the oven, they used this stuff to heat up their ovens so that they could put bread in and the heat would kind of stay in the, the stones. Um, so it's, we gather up the stuff that's real pretty, we burn it, it's gone. He's like, if God put so much effort into making those as beautiful as they are, will he not much more clothe you? O oh, you of little faith, therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, or the people who don't have any faith in God chase after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first his king, the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own troubles. Saying, you had enough going on today, man. You don't need to worry about tomorrow's stuff ahead of time. Now, again, upon first reading, it kind of looks like Jesus is just brushing away all these concerns by saying, hey, don't worry so much. Look, God takes care of things. He's going to take care of you. And he is saying that, but as you kind of dig in and you pay more attention, there's a lot of, of amazing things that he's saying in here. Um, the fact that near the middle of the passage, or in fact, near the middle of the passage, he straight up diagnoses the reason for the majority of our anxiety. And it's, it's not great. Like, I don't know if you've ever had somebody like get to the root of an issue you were going through and you just thought, well, no, I don't, you're probably right, but I don't like it. I don't like that that's what you know. Ugh, how dare you? You know, that, I, I, it's, it's, it's one of those, okay? And it hurts to hear, but often what lies behind our anxiety is a lack of trust in God. And I'm not trying to make anybody who's anxious feel more bad and anxious. You're like, oh, I'm worried, but now I feel bad too because it's my fault. That's not necessarily what I'm saying. Um, but it does hurt, and it can feel a little bit insulting, especially if you're a Christian who for years has spent time praying, God, help me be free of this anxiety. Help me to trust in you more. Help me to get past this. Um, but um, when I was having struggles years ago, and I, was, I went to counseling and stuff, and I spent like the overwhelming majority of my time in my head trying to get to the root of what was going on, the root of really what was happening in my heart and in my brain it had to do with the fact that... I, I didn't trust God with a certain area of my life. Um, I remember the thing that actually kind of like sent me over the edge. Um, not to say that it was the thing that the cause of it. It would have been anything. Like I was teetering on the edge, you know. If your car's hanging over the edge, like and a bird lands on the front of the car, you don't blame the bird. You know, you parked your car on the edge, right? Okay, so this was the thing that just happened to, like, send me over the edge. But um, Eleanor wasn't born yet. Um, I think Abby was at the library one day, so I had the, kid, the two boys at home. And it was middle of summer, super hot out. I was like, let's go play in the sprinkler. It'll be fun. They always have fun. It's cute to watch. Um, they don't fight as much as, like, I mean, how do you fight? You can't fight over a sprinkler. It's spraying everywhere, right? So it's kind of a nice little thing. Dad gets to sit in a chair for a little bit and chill. It's kind of nice. And so um, I'm putting sunscreen on them because they're pale like myself. And Jude had a little bump on his neck, little teeny, like the size of, not even a pencil eraser. It was, and I just remember when my hand found that little bump on his neck, I fell to pieces. Um, as soon as my hand touched that bump, I was planning his funeral. 
Like, that's how this works. Some of you are like, yep, I've been there. Okay. Which, by the way, um, it was a swollen lymph node, probably because he was fighting some random virus. They happen all the time on your kids. If you've never felt one, it's just because your hand didn't find it when it was there. They're there a lot, okay? Um, so it was just one thing. It wasn't a big deal, but it was the straw that broke the camel's back for me, and I spiraled out for weeks. And as I did some counseling and tried to get back on top of things, one of the hardest truths I had to face was that as a minister, as somebody who talks about how good God is Sunday after Sunday, that I did not believe in my heart that God loved my kids as much as I did, that I did not believe God could ta- would take care of my kids, If I was unable to, that I didn't believe that God had the best for my kids in mind for the future. I didn't trust him to take care of them, to lead their lives, uh, to take care of their souls if they actually did get sick with something horrible. And part of my kind of recovery process was discovering that truth, admitting it, that admitting that it was really the source of almost all of my anxiety, at least the biggest things that freaked me out. And that I just didn't trust God. That I had an area in my life where I thought, I'm more qualified than God. I know better than he does. And part of letting go of that anxiety over the future um, meant letting go of control of this part of my life and giving it to God. Which is, as a parent, is tricky. You don't want to give your kids up to anything or anyone Um, And it wasn't giving them away, but it was simply saying, you're a better father than I am. You love them more than I do. God, you've loved them longer than I have. God's loved them and planned them from who knows how long, eternity past, right? Uh, I didn't know until the, the pregnancy test, right? That was the soonest part in my heart could start making room to love them. Okay? He's loved them longer than I did. He's seen all the days of their life. He knows how long I'll be in their life and how long I won't. He sees it all and he knows what needs to happen for them. And I had to come to a point where I had to remind myself, he is better at this than I am. He is more capable at, their, at leading their life than I am. He is better at planning their future than I am. And it was a long process for me. I just remember every morning I would just like, wake up, you know, that's how you wake up when you're going through a very strong bout of anxiety. You wake up every morning, like crack of dawn, your mind racing at all the bad possibilities. And I would just get up and I'd walk around Loami, and um, I would just kind of whisper to myself. People probably thought I was crazy if they ever looked up and just saw me walking around talking to myself. But I was just like, God, you love them more than I do. You love them more than I do. You love them more than I do. And it was, I mean, I was praying, but I was kind of preaching to myself a little bit. It was like this sermon, like just trying to drill that. I mean, my brain had spent so much time worrying a path of, of, of anxiety and going to the worst possible, you know, outcomes of every thought and what if, um, that I had to kind of start, you know, digging in a new path that could go to the truth rather than to the lies that were existing in my heart. And so for me, I just walk around town and just say, God, you love them more than I do. You're going to take care of them, whatever comes to pass. And I had to say that over and over again, helping myself to believe it, uh, saying it way before I believed it. And the less we trust God, the more we clamor for that control. And I don't know if you've ever clamored for something, but it is a frantic grabbing. Think of a, a 
if you've ever like gotten out, uh, been doing the dishes and you dropped a plastic cup on the counter and it just kind of does that little thing where it just dances away from you and you're like, you know, you're, tr- you're chasing after it, like that's a clamoring, right? That's what you do when you're worrying about something. Once you don't trust God to handle a situation, you start trying to gain all the control that you can. You're clamoring for control. It's never a good look either. It's never something that looks like elegant or graceful. That's not the way we were meant to live our lives. And with the future and all of the possible what-ifs, those are things you cannot control. And if you cannot trust God with your future and the future of those you love, then you are going to spend your days clamoring to plan all the what-ifs so that you can be ready to jump into action when those horrible things eventually happen the way you knew they were going to, even though they rarely ever do. Now, Growing in your faith, growing in your ability to trust God is not an overnight process. It is a lifelong process. I feel like it's a bit of a roller coaster. You're up and you're down and you're up and you're down, but hopefully you're making like an upward trajectory. Have you ever seen those commercials where they bring out like a finance chart and it's like there's an arrow? Like, hopefully we're moving in the right direction, okay? But it's not an overnight process. And there's wins and there's successes and there's losses. And if you're a natural-focused worrier, this will probably be a lifelong struggle. But Jesus does give, does give us some tools in here to, to make it better, to help us kind of find our bearings a little bit. I'm not going to talk about most of them um, because we don't have time. But there's one that is so simple that we almost always overlook it. Okay, And it's this. If you're struggling to see that God is going to be faithful in the future, then you need to look back at moments where he has already been faithful. And that might seem so simple, but when I'm worrying, the last thing I'm doing is thinking, okay, hey, you know what? What if I stopped for a second and thought about the last time I was worried about something and it didn't happen the way I thought it was going to? What if I stopped right now and thought, that last time I was so panicked and so freaked out and it all worked out fine and God was good and faithful in that moment? I never do that. I almost, I don't have the wherewithal to do that in those moments when I'm clamoring, okay? But it's so simple. What he does originally is he points us to two places that God's been faithful. He says, look at the birds. Look at the flowers. You, you look out your window every day and see birds and flowers. You walk by birds and flowers all day long. They are a living, walking testament to God being faithful every single day, year after year. And so when we have those moments, we're looking in the future, and we don't think that God's going to be faithful, or we don't see how he could be faithful. God has surrounded us with places that we can look to say, no, he's always faithful. He's been faithful in places. And when you look at the past, what's interesting and what makes it different than the future is the past is set. It's, it's done. It's over with. It is set in stone. It is concrete. That has hardened. And so we can look at those and say, no, God has 100% been faithful here. So in the future, which is not made up yet, which is not set, which is not certain, which is not grasped by us, we can't see it. So we look at the things that are set so that we can trust God with the unknown and and, and the, the things that we can't quite put together yet. And he goes on, he point he makes it a little bit, you know, fleshes this out a little bit. He says, birds don't have the brains to, you know, they're not planting seeds in rows and harvesting and putting stuff in barns. Okay but God's taking care of them. So if you're smart enough to do all that stuff, don't you think he's going to take care of you too? If you're smart enough to do something for yourself, don't you think God's going to at least come in and do the rest? And birds can't do much of anything, and God takes care of them. Then he goes to the flowers. 
He's like, they don't even care about looking good, and God makes them look better than the richest king Israel ever had. So don't you think God's going to take care of you? And so God gives us these examples of constant, or Jesus gives us examples of God's ongoing constant faithfulness so that we can look at it and be reminded of how he's going to be continually be faithful in the future. Um, so Jesus suggests that when you can't trust God with the future, look at where God has been faithful in the past. Um, I've been listening to uh, the Bible Project podcast. Uh, we've shown some Bible Project videos here before. Um, but if you haven't ever seen the Bible Project, really cool stuff. They have really helpful videos that make the Bible understandable and things like that. Um, but they have a podcast where they really kind of get, dig into Scripture. And um, all of 2022, they went through the first five books of the Old Testament. And you learned a lot about life and what happened and, and all that. It was really, really good. And one of the Old Testament practices that, this, that popped into my mind um, as I was kind of thinking through this sermon was the Old Testament practice is where... Um, the Israelites, as they were traveling around and God would show up and be faithful, every time there was a moment of significance, they would stop and they would build either an altar or a monument of some kind. Sometimes it was just as simple as a stack of rocks. Just as to say, every time they walked by this place, to be like, God was faithful right here. See that stack of rocks? We put those there because God was faithful to us right there. And most of the time uh, they did that, it was when God was faithful to them in a moment when they were not being faithful to him. And he still showed up and was kind and loving to them. And so what happens here is these moments, they would build these, um, just like I said, stacks of rocks, these place, things that would be there for centuries, if not forever, so that any time somebody traveled by them again, they would remember God was faithful. They would build these monuments to remind them of God's faithfulness. And God had them do this, and sometimes they did it on their own because they knew how bad they were at trusting God to be faithful. They were always taking matters into their own hands. And, and I, you know, I think when I'm most nervous, my natural response is, again, not to look around to find something to hang on to that says, okay, where's God been good? Where's God been faithful? My natural response is to just freak out, panic, scream, like run in circles in the, like a burning building. Like it's not helpful at all. And so as I was thinking about um, this, I was like, what if we had good what ifs? Like, what if we had these good things that we could come back to and, and hang on to, these, these practical, tangible, physical things in our life so that when we're panicking, there was something right there to actually grab our attention and say, oh, hey, God is faithful. I'm freaking out. God is faithful. Okay. And to kind of bring us down from that moment, grab our attention and to focus it in a better direction. And so I just think, what if we what if we took back this practice that none of us have really probably ever done before, this little practice of building monuments of God's faithfulness into our life? Um, maybe you can have, build a little monument that's just in the form of a picture that hangs on your wall that reminds you of a moment or a season when God came through for you. Uh, maybe you build a little monument um, in the form of a, a verse of Scripture that helped you stand stable in a time when life felt very unstable. You get that, you, know, you can get those stickers and slap them on your wall, and they're very pretty, and you can get somebody to make them for you. What if you do something like that? And that's a monument in your life to grab your attention so that you look at it every time and go, that's God's faithful. I'm struggling to see it, but God is faithful, and to draw you back to have something firm to stand on. And maybe you create a monument. Um, this is one I heard of, and I think it's a really cool idea. 
a monument in the form of your own personal holiday. A day when you kind of say, this happened eight years ago. I celebrated every year because God was good, and I need to remember every year how good he is. And get a cake even for yourself. Because if you're an adult, it doesn't have to be a real holiday to buy a cake. You're welcome. You know, and you do something, and you, and you celebrate it to remind you, this, God is good. I can't always see it. And so we put these things in our lives to help us come back and stand on the truth. Because what we're worrying about is most of the time not the truth. And the truth is that God is good. And we are oftentimes um, struggling with little faith, like Jesus says. We're struggling to see it. Now, again, let me say, this isn't a magic cure for you panicking about the future. Um, but he does do two really big things here. That He does a lot in here, but he does at least two things. One, he helps us diagnose the issue. Again, Maybe not all anxiety is because we don't trust God, but a lot of it is. And, and he gives us at least one tool to kind of help bring ourselves back to a place where we can grow our faith and stop having such little faith. He does a lot for us. But as we are, many of us, chronic, future-focused worriers, um, I think it would help us if we had a few more monuments in our lives. I mean, because as my mind starts to wander with all the negative what-ifs, if I had something more, maybe a few things in my life that just reminded me, caught my attention, and brought me back to the truth, I think that would be incredibly beneficial to my life. I've heard of people even just stacking a little bit of, you know, six, seven stones in their landscaping out in front of their house. That was like a legit old-time like type of monument um, so that when they come home and when they leave, they say, God's faithful, and I need to know that today. It's not a bad thing to get in your brain as you're heading off to work or out to whatever your normal day is filled with. Um, because worry about the future, it robs me of joy in the moment. It robs me from being able to see and appreciate. Do you think I appreciated my kids playing in the sprinklers that day? No! It's hard to take joy in the fact. And by the way, they had no clue, right? They're just all busting, busting into each other, tripping over each other, getting wet, soaked, screaming, making a big old time. Like, they don't. It was, there was such joy to be had there, and I was too busy losing my mind and probably texting Abby, what are we going to do? You know, all of this stuff. It was, and again, it was nothing, no big deal. And so we need to be brought from the lies that our brains invent back to the truth, which is God is full of his unfailing love and kindness towards you and towards me. He is capable of handling your life. He's capable capable of handling the lives of those you love. He is going to care for you through good seasons and through bad seasons. So it's time that we let the future worry about itself. Let's pray. Father, I pray that we would be people um, that acknowledge that there's times when we have little faith. We have a struggle to not trust you when we should. Um, We have the struggle to be forgetful and There'll be so many moments where you have come through for us that should be celebrated over and over again for years to come, and we forget those so quickly, and yet we grab on to the slightest bit of evidence that something bad might be coming our way. And I pray, Father, that we would just realize that in those moments, that sometimes the cause is we just don't trust you the way we should. Now, maybe there's more going on, but um, at the root of a lot of the things that we worry about is the issue of trust. And so I pray that you would grow our faith through your spirit and that you would use whatever you need to use to help us not be people of little faith, but people whose faith grows and that every opportunity of anxiety becomes an opportunity to grow 
an opportunity to trust you more, an opportunity to remind us of how good you are. Because, oh, oh, Father, we are such um, wayward creatures. Our hearts are so prone to wander um, from what is right and what is good and what is true and wander to the things that are a waste of energy and time. So help us to trust you. Help us to um, maybe build a few monuments in our life that we can rest on and, and that can help ground us in moments when we're struggling. And, Father, we just, um, we just pray for, uh, for your continued faithfulness. We pray for your help in moments when we struggle. And we pray that you would give us people in our lives or maybe, I don't know, things in our lives or maybe a personal holiday that we create in our lives to have those moments that grab us from the edge of our anxiety and pull us back into the comforting arms of your faithfulness and love. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.